G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to talk about relevance and resistance in the creation debate, an important conversation today around the biblical creation narrative that we'll read in Genesis uh, to the biggest issues that are facing the world today and some inspiration on how to stand in resistance against those who would be attackers of biblical truth. Bible history is often defamed as fairy stories, but Jesus himself referred to Genesis as history whenever he spoke of Adam and Eve or Noah's flood. It's inevitable for every young Christian that our faith will be challenged, challenged by friends in the playground, teachers at school or professors at the university. So our conversation today around relevance, of the creation account in the Bible and resistance to those who want to discredit the biblical narrative. Our privilege to welcome back to Australia the now legendary Aussie school teacher who turned defender of biblical creation, Ken Ham, who founded Answers in Genesis, not just for Australia, but for the whole world. Ken Ham was the spearhead behind the internationally renowned life-size recreation of Noah's Ark and the Creation Museum in the United States. The Ark Encounter and Creation Museum are in northern Kentucky. Ken Ham's in Australia and joining us through this coming hour. Ken, a special welcome along to 2020. Hey, Neil, great to be with you. Great to be with you again. I was with you in America not that long ago. I know, it's just not that long ago at all, and uh, a wonderful opportunity to visit the Ark Encounter and see the Creation Museum, and I'm just so humbled uh, to have been your guest on that day, and uh, you took that time to show me around, and uh, even even into the, uh, uh, I'd say, the bowels of the ship, uh, into those parts where the ordinary public doesn't get to go, and uh, uh, just a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, some behind-the-scenes stuff, and was, was the Ark being enough for you oh, it was uh, it was you know when you see it in real life uh, you get a bit more context as to the size and i know you've been meticulous in the way that the ark was built mm-hmm. uh, to go with biblical dimensions there so that it gives people an accurate representation of what that ark would have looked like when noah built it in his day uh, what sort of you'd like enough about my thoughts how are things going? Uh, the Ark. Uh, I said there's millions who have been traveling to the Ark. Uh, things have been going well for you? Oh, certainly. In fact, uh, the attendance at both the Ark and the Creation Museum are increasing, and we're adding some new things again this year. We seem to add new things every year, continue to expand. And, you know, I hear so many, so many families who tell me that for them and their children, they say it really helps make the Bible come alive. You know, in in a way that's sort of unique and and different because it it not only answers skeptical questions, help people understand that you know the Bible's true and we can defend our faith, but for for kids to come and they say, "Wow, look at this! Yeah, Noah could fit the animals on board. This was real. It's a real ship." And then when they walk through the Creation Museum, they experience Adam and Eve and even the entrance of sin to understand what they did to the world in the flood of Noah's day and the Tower of Babel and so on. 
it it's really a different way of communicating the Bible, a different way of communicating the message of the Bible and the gospel to our contemporary culture. You've got a real motive in what you're doing with the Ark Encounter. People can spend a lot of time going through all the different floors and you've got some amazing recreations of what it might have been like on board the Ark in Noah's day. But it's bigger than that too because you have the Ararat Ridge Zoo also that's just outside the Ark. And uh, I remember standing with you there in the zoo enclosure and uh, I've got a photo of you and I uh, with some kangaroos over our shoulder because you've got some kangaroos in the United States at the Ark Encounter. Of course we have to because (laughs) they're so iconic in regard to Australia, aren't they? Uh, So we've got to have something Australian there. And actually we have a walk through area for the uh, kangaroos where people can actually walk through and uh, experience the kangaroos and even touch them and so on. Uh, of course, over here in Australia, you can do that in all sorts of places, but uh, we love to do that there for all the visitors that come. And really, it all has a teaching purpose, right? Because the reason we have a zoo, for instance, we have a zoos and a zonkey and zebras and horses well, that's to help people understand they're all part of the horse kind. So Noah didn't need all of them on the ark. He only needed two of the horse kind. We have llamas and alpacas and camels. Well, they're all the camel kind. So you only need two of the camel kind. When it comes to kangaroos, I mean, there's red kangaroos and gray kangaroos. We also have uh, Bennett's wallabies. And, you know, there's a, a lot of different species within the kangaroo kind. Well, Noah only needed two of the kangaroo kind on the ark. So the reason we have the zoo and lots of other animals as well, we now have sloths and we have ostriches and emus and all sorts of other interesting creatures, but it's to help teach that concept of kinds, which is all related to some of the exhibits in the ark that teach how Noah could get all the animals in the ark. And interestingly, I know that families like to visit the ark. And there's a perception sometimes that you take your family to the ark so that your children can enjoy the story of Noah's ark. However, I know this is a a point that you like to draw significant attention to, uh, that the story of Noah and the ark is not only a children's story, but the story of Noah's ark is very definitely a very powerful and uh, could be R-rated at times story of what happened in those early days and God's way of looking at the sinfulness of humanity. Uh, Take us beyond the children's story to what adults would glean from a visit to the Ark Encounter or to understand more deeply the story of Noah's Ark. Well, we want them to understand that this was real history. It was a historical account and it really happened because we're pointing to the fact that, hey, the history in the Bible is true. That's why the gospel based in that history is true. But it's also a reminder of the wickedness of man and the judgment of God, that he judges wickedness, he judges sin. And because of man's sin, because of man's rebellion, God judged with a fight. And he has a right to do that. He's a holy, righteous God. I mean, the atheists bring that up all the time. Why would God kill all those people and so on? Well, what right do the atheists have to determine what's just and what's unjust? You know, God is the one who is our infinite creator, and he's the only one who can determine what's just and unjust and what's right and what's wrong. But it's also a reminder that in judgment, God brings salvation. Think about in Genesis. When man rebelled against God, God promised a savior. He actually killed animals, clothed Adam and Eve, the origin of clothing, but the first blood sacrifice is a covering for their sin as a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So although God judged sin, he judged our treason. We, you know, we committed high treason against the God of creation. When we and Adam sinned against God, he judged with death, which seems horrible. But think about it. In that judgment, he said, but I'm providing salvation. I mean, we don't deserve anything because we're sinners and have sinned against a holy God. And at the time of the flood, he judged the wickedness of man, but he provided an ark of salvation. He told Noah to build this great ship and one door in the side of the ship. And think about it. Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he'll be saved. And so Noah's ark is a picture of salvation. And that door is a picture of Jesus Christ, that we need to go through a door to be saved. And I just love to see parents teaching that to their children and then getting in front of that big door inside the ark. They can stand in front of the door and there's a a cross that's lit up on the door. It's subtle, but it's there. It shows up more on your iPhone, you know, if you take a picture on your smartphone than it does actually in real life. But they stand there and get a picture and parents remind their children, you need to go through a door to be saved. And that's really what it's all about. And we also want parents to to understand that when the atheists and others attack the historicity of the Bible and attack Noah's Ark, that we've got answers. We've got answers in regard to fossils, in regard to dating methods, answers in regard to natural selection and in regard to speciation and the Ice Age and climate change and all those things uh, that they can glean from that so that as they get those questions from their children, at the appropriate ages in the appropriate way, they can answer those for them. So you're looking to see the way that different levels can be touched by the story of Noah and the flood uh, of the biblical account of Genesis because it's not only about what children will see when they go along to the Ark Encounter, but it's also people at scientific level, uh, university level, people who have been studying what's really going on, wanting to see through uh, some of the issues, some of those things that are taught in our universities, looking for real evidence. So where you've got the Creation Museum, you're also presenting evidence in all of that so that people at all different levels can appreciate the biblical account and understand biblical truth. Oh, exactly. And in fact, I think this is an important point for Christians to understand because there are those that are say, yeah, but it's, look, it's all about faith. You know, why, why worry about evidence? You know, the Bible says, uh, that, you know, um, by, by grace you say through faith. It is a gift of God. It is not as yourselves. You know, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But, you know, we also need to understand the Bible also says, always be ready to give reasons for what you believe. And 1 Peter 3.15 uh, is that verse that says, give reasons uh, for your faith. And when it says give reasons or give answers uh, to give a defense, it comes from the Greek word apologia, from which we get a word apologetics, which means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. You see, if the Bible is a real book of history, it's going to connect to the real world. It'll connect to fossils. It'll connect to death and suffering. It'll make sense of the world. And people who are scientists, for instance, who are studying genetics or studying geology or biology or whatever it is, for Christians, we understand that the real world, what we observe, is not going to contradict God's book of history uh, it would confirm it if it's a real book of history. And so faith and evidence go hand in hand. They don't contradict each other or anything like that. And we see even through, even through scripture, uh, we see, uh, instances of even Jesus talking about, you know, using evidence as well as faith. It, God brings all those things together. It, it is true that, you know, it's God's word that will not return unto us void. You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. 
but it's also true that God uses us to proclaim the truth of his word, to contend for the faith, as it says in Jude, to give reasons for what we believe. And that's one of the reasons why, as you go through the ark and go through the Creation Museum, we're bringing that faith and evidence together in a very special way. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us. The Thursday edition of 2020. Our special guest this hour is Ken Ham, who founded Answers in Genesis. He was the spearhead behind the internationally renowned life-size recreation of Noah's Ark and the Creation Museum in the United States. Talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a question or a comment for Ken Ham. And uh, Ken, just before we take some calls, uh, you're speaking at a foundation conference tomorrow and on the weekend in southeast Queensland. What sort of topics are you prepared to be covering this time around? Well, for the first evening, on the Friday evening, I'm going to do two talks. One is called Science Confirms the Bible. And basically what I want to do is talk about how you understand science in regard to the issue of origins. And there's a big difference between historical science and observational science. And then I'm going to use observational science, answering questions about natural selection, speciation, geology, dating methods, and so on, to show how that really does confirm uh, God's word. And then talk a little bit about, because I'll talk more about this on Sunday morning, a little bit about how important it is to understand that the history in Genesis is true, because it's the foundation for all of our doctrine, foundation for marriage, foundation for why we wear clothes, foundation for the gospel. Everything ultimately is founded in the first 11 chapters. Then I'm going to do a talk on six days, the authority of Scripture and the age of the earth. And that's an interesting one because there are so many people today in our churches who think, does it really matter whether you believe in six days? And I would ask the question, does it really matter whether you take God at his word? And we're going to talk about the authority issue. And that is, I see the whole issue of the age of the earth and creation evolution as a biblical authority issue and how important it is to take God at his word. And so we'll deal with the issue of the six days, and can Christians believe in millions of years and add that to the Bible? Well, I know there are Christians that do, but I'm going to show that there's an incredible problem uh, in regard to that. And then, you know, on Sunday, I'm going to talk more about the origin of races and racism on the Sunday night. And Sunday morning, the relevance message, which is the main message of the ministry of Answers in Genesis, and that is the importance of taking God's word in Genesis 1 to 11 is foundational to our worldview, to all of our doctrines. Okay, let's have a question from a Facebook listener. Uh, Jason, who says, what are Ken Ham's thoughts on the new book called The Genealogical Adam and Eve, The Surprising Science of Universal Ancestry by Dr. S. Joshua Swamidas. He apparently scientifically confirms an historic Adam and Eve while affirming evolution at the same time. Uh, I'm not sure whether you're across that particular author. Are uh, Are you familiar with that book? Uh, yeah, we're familiar with the book, and we actually have the book in our library. But there's a lot of books that have been produced like this, and this is exactly what I would uh, say to people. Look, there's a whole range of different people out there trying to mesh in some ways certain parts of evolutionary geology or anthropology, evolutionary biology or whatever with God's word. And that, I always look for that motivation. You know, they they say, well, we've come up with this, you know, new approach uh, and so on, and we're affirming that there was an Adam and Eve. Well, are they affirming 
what the Bible says, that God took dust, made Adam, took his side, made a woman, which Jesus in the New Testament refers to in regard to real history. Are they affirming that? It's it's one thing to say, oh, we believe that there was an Adam and Eve, but what do they mean by Adam and Eve? Because some people mean a whole race of men, a whole race of women, or they mean you know certain ancestors that came out of different uh, groups before that, or evolved back into ape-like creatures, or whatever it is. the The point is not, you know, is it affirming and what they call an Adam and Eve? It's a point of are they affirming the literal history in Genesis as God had it. Written And, of course, that particular book does not. And it's just another example of someone trying to mesh ideas from outside the Bible into the Bible and come up with some what they think is radically new concept to try and uh, get people to uh, to believe uh, what I would say is a compromised position on God's word. Okay, let's take a call or two. Let's first of all hear from Tash in Cooktown in North Queensland. Hi, Tash. Welcome along. Yeah, thank you. Um, just a question prompted from my son, actually, was um, how does how do dinosaurs fit in with the story of creation and also the ark? Okay. Yeah, and, and we're asked that question a lot, and we have a lot of books. If you go to you know the AnswersInGenesis.org website, you'll see books for kids for all ages on dinosaurs and books for parents on that. you see lots of articles on there as well, and we have DVDs dealing with it. What we sort of got to stand back and think differently. In other words... Uh, instead of saying, you know, did dinosaurs go on the ark or did God create dinosaurs, think about the history of the word dinosaur. It wasn't even invented till 1841. And so a man called Sir Richard Owen in England uh, invented this name from two Greek words to apply to particular groups of land animals. Here's the point. Did God make all the land animals uh, originally? Yes, he made them on day six. He made different kinds. Okay, there are all sorts of kinds of land animals. So today, what we class as dinosaurs are a number of different kinds of land animals that are put under that name. Did they exist back when God first created? And the answer is yes, because he made all the kinds of land animals, including the groups of, of, of animals that today we give a name dinosaurs to. Did two of each kind, uh, seven pairs of some, but two of each kind go on board Noah's Ark? Yes, would that include dinosaurs? It includes the group of animals, the kinds that today we call dinosaurs. So if you look at it from a perspective of what does the Bible say and understand that the word dinosaur is just an arbitrary term that was invented in 1841 that applies to particular kinds, probably about 80 kinds actually of uh, land animals, then um, that uh, helps us understand that whole issue. Tash, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. And I, I will get to the website. Fabulous. Thank you so much for your call. And just before we take another call, and uh, we say that this is the, the sort of, it's the bread and butter question, isn't it? People will say to you when you're presenting a seminar, what about the dinosaurs? Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that's an easy one to answer or is it a medium or a hard one to answer? Because uh, people come with that question and they, uh, they have this burning thought about uh, dinosaurs. That's what I learned about at school and, and that all seemed to be a whole lot older than Noah's flood. Uh, is this a sort of a hard question or an easy one to answer when you talk about those kinds? Oh, I would say it's a very easy one. Uh, to answer. Um, people just haven't been taught, you know, to really understand the history of the word dinosaur and what that all means and so on. And what's happened is the secular world has so indoctrinated people to equate dinosaurs with millions of years 
and also they've indoctrinated people to believe that dinosaurs became extinct because they evolved into birds and so they actually say, secularists actually say dinosaurs still live today. I mean, if you go to Crumbin Bird Sanctuary, there's dinosaurs everywhere. They're flying all around. I mean, that's what the secularists would actually say because they say birds are dinosaurs. And because it's all a part of their evolutionary scenario, they've really indoctrinated people. But when you just break it down for them and help them understand it from a biblical perspective and a true scientific perspective, they realize, wow, this is easy. And interestingly, on from that, uh, I've noticed of recent times when I've looked at some dinosaur uh, exhibits or dinosaurs tried to be recreated, that now uh, artists are in fact putting feathers on dinosaur uh, when they've recreated them. So that that whole connection with birds is uh, is becoming much more uh, real for people who are looking at dinosaurs. It is, and what people don't realise is sometimes when they find these fossils of something and they say it's certainly looks like a bird but they call it a dinosaur because it has feathers the reason it has feathers is because it is a bird and then there are others they find and they say well these look like feathers they're not real feathers maybe they're proto feathers they've actually used that word and they're probably collagen fibers from the decay of the um the the tissues and so on and then they try to say that that's a bird but what they're doing is forcing their evolutionary views onto that particular evidence if you just let the evidence speak for itself in a, in a sense um, but if you just look at it, you realize that they're either birds or they, they could be dinosaurs, but birds didn't become dinosaurs. Uh, dinosaurs didn't become birds. Thanks so much to Tash in Cooktown for raising the dinosaur issue. Let's take another call. Our old friend Shelby from Sunnybank. Hi, Shelby. Welcome. Hello, Neil. Hello, Ken. Mate, love your stuff. Um, but, mate, I have a question and um, a quick one. Um, but I, I've met uh, Commander Jim James Irwin, the uh, retired NASA guy. Uh, eighth man on the moon, actually, and he went up to uh, Ararat three times trying to discover all stuff about um, the Ark. What is your take on the Ark? Um, because there wasn't a lot of evidence apparently left um, from all that. Well, first thing is, what does the Bible say? You know, that's what I always say to people. What does the Bible say? Does the Bible say that the Ark landed on Mount Ararat? And actually it does not. The Bible does say the ark landed on the mountains of Ararat. So it doesn't say which particular mountain. And the other thing to look at very carefully is that the particular Mount Ararat that they're referring to when they do these searches for, for Noah's ark is uh, a mountain that was built up because of volcanic action. We would say post-flood, you wouldn't expect the ark to be there because it, it, it wouldn't have been there at the time the ark landed and it's been built up as a result of volcanic action. And even if the ark was there, it would have been destroyed by that volcanic action. So again, we've got to look at what Scripture says and uh, then uh, to understand some of that geology. And what, what I remind people of is this. Yeah, it would be great if you could, you know, it would be fantastic. Imagine to find remnants of the Noah's Ark or whatever. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to convince people. Uh, because I had an atheist once said to me, I don't care if you find a big ship on the top of Mount Ararat and drag it down the main street. I'm not going to believe that's Noah's Ark. And we've and we got to remember even the account of the rich man and Lazarus. If they don't have Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if one rose from the dead. So sometimes I think we're looking for that silver bullet but scripture has made it clear. And actually, I think there's a lot more. There's, there's overwhelming evidence for the flood of Noah's day. It's all over the world. It's called fossils. And you, you see fossil layers all over the world laid down by water catastrophically. That's overwhelming evidence consistent with the flood. Thank you so much to Shelby. And uh, coming up to news, so just uh, quickly on this issue of uh, overwhelming evidence all around the world, as you say, uh, but there's also overwhelming 
uh, accounts throughout all sorts of civilizations around the world uh, that have very, very similar accounts of, of Noah's Ark or of Noah or something very similar to, uh, to the Noah story. Oh, yes, Neil. And in fact, uh, you would have seen on the third deck of the Ark, we just have an exhibit talking about all these different flood legends around the world from cultures that have elements similar to the Bible. And we actually show how, you know, some of them have a, have a boat that's uh, a cube and all the rest of it and wouldn't float very well. But yes, those are, those are there. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 